This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, episode 41. It's Sometimes it's complete strangers that you just rub the right way right. that change right. the entire course of your life. Yeah. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Scott Caulfield, and here with me today, Matt Wenning, director of winningstrength.com and the Ludus Magnus Gym in Columbus, Ohio. Matt, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, man, not a problem. Super psyched to have you on. We're here at the 41st annual NSCA National Conference, Indianapolis. It's a great crowd. You spoke already uh, three times. We put you to work here at this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talk about uh, that how that went so far for you yeah i mean you know the first one was just using the traditional tools as assessment tools i think we get so caught up in doing you know assessing people when we could probably be getting them strong and assessing them at the same time if our if our eyes were a little sharper and had a little bit more experience with the big lift so you know a lot of a lot of times when you guys come and ask me it's all about bringing some of the some of the strength back down to the basics which everybody seems to forget and want to go to the go to the most complex things and in reality we're just not prepared for that super super good point always the fundamentals man i always say that too i always tell people like they ask me about programming or whatever and i'm like honestly you're probably not going to be impressed because i do a lot of a lot of really fundamental stuff mm-hmm. but just like you know at the higher levels you still have to have mastered the foundation you still yeah. have to have a s- super super foundation to build off of to I mean, go yeah, higher. before my pro- programming for myself personally got complex as far as understanding, you know, all kinds of things beyond fundamentals, I'd already had 12 years in the game. Right, I mean, 12 right. years in the game at national caliber meets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when I had to get complex. But I think everybody wants to go complex after the first year, right, right. you know, which is just crazy. So yeah. I think that's one of the things that people like is that, we get, we get scientific and we talk a lot about theory and things like that, but the type of stuff I try to do is if I'm talking for an hour, I want them to leave with three key points. That's and I think the three key points at this conference, if I were to put all three of them together, was make sure that the posterior chain is prepared, right, to do the stuff the anterior chain's capable of. Yeah. For yeah, it, yeah. not only injury prevention, but performance increases. And yeah. then the next thing is being able to decipher what technical flaws are telling you what thing. So if you're seeing knees come in or back shift or things, sometimes those aren't as easy to detect why they're doing that as some would think. Um, So that's an issue. And then, you know, the other issue is just understanding the fundamentals of technique of the big lifts. You'd be surprised at like, you know, in the assessment we had yesterday, we had four or five people get under the squat bar and nobody knew even, even how to initiate the squat correctly. Yeah. And I think that's huge. I mean, if you want to get an athlete better in the gym, increase their squat and their deadlift, and not only the weight they can move, but the yeah. proficiency of the movement. Yeah. If you can do those things, you're probably going to get them better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you talked about, you know, your lifting, and you are a world-class power lifter, equipped and raw now. Uh, you've mm-hmm. been lifting for a long, long time. but. Yeah. But you also started lifting young. Like yeah. you were in, you know, in your teens when you yeah. became 12 and, 12 and a half to 13 is when I started. I did yeah. my first bench press meet as a little charity meet, the YMCA, in 1993. And I'd already been lifting six months, and yeah. I was 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this isn't something no. you just decided to get into. And, no. uh, and I guess when – I think we've talked about this before, but, you know – 
when did you kind of figure out that you were already like pretty strong and this was this was kind of something that was going to be for you for a well, long time i think it started off like everybody else it was external attention i mean i remember going into my eighth grade gym class and mr frank was in there he was a gym teacher and we had this horrible nautilus machine that was like a you know like a smith machine press yeah. you remember those old machines yeah, oh yeah. weight stacks yeah. and i could do the whole freaking stack in eighth grade yeah. which was like 250 right right which a lot of the te- grown men teachers couldn't do. Yeah, yeah. So that automatically, Gary Frank was, like, or uh, Mr. Frank was, not Gary Frank, Mr. Frank was kind of like, dude, that is crazy. Yeah. But he realized I'd already been working out the YMCA with some guys over yeah. there who were pretty strong. Yeah. So the guy that taught me the fundamentals of how to bench press was named Tim Smith. He was a 500-pound bencher at 185 pounds body weight raw wow. in this yeah. little podunk town, right, right. which I just got really fortunate. It was two blocks away from my house, yep. and I could ride my bicycle there. Yep. And he sees me. He's like, man, you're really, you're really big for a high school kid. And I'm like, I'm in seventh grade. <laughs> and he's like, oh, shit, you know? So that's kind of how it started. So they yeah. saw potential in me, um, and then my gym teacher saw potential in me. And then by the time I was in uh, high school, that's when I started noticing, like, I was benching three plates as a freshman yeah then i was benching close to four plates as a sophomore yeah then you start realizing that you go in i was i played football but i never really liked playing football i just didn't like team sports um but when i would go in and train with the football team i would smoke them all right right. that's when i started realizing that there was something there yeah so by the time i was 18 19 i was doing national level meets and 19 i won my first worlds cool and that's when i noticed i knew that i I needed to figure out some way to do strength conditioning but the problem is being from a small school i didn't even know what that was right because remember right. there was no internet yeah right, and right, right. and the internet was very archaic even at best if it, i even remember it being around yeah. but in magazines there wasn't a lot of talk of strength conditioning coaches a fairly new field yeah. and the only strength coach that was in town was a guy named wade russell which ended up being my first mentor okay. um and he was at ball state yeah. so he's in a dungeon training these guys he's yeah. not out in public right. nobody knows who he is unless you're at ball state and yeah. you're in the athletics yeah. so um i had a uh, my mom worked with a, a, a lady and she had a, a son that was i don't know about six or eight years older than me and he graduated with an accounting degree and he got an accounting position at the colts okay and I, my mom was talking about me at work and they were like well what is he going to do for work i was like i don't know he wants to do something with weights and i'm like 18. And she's like, well, there's a strength coach down here at the Colts. Maybe he'd want a job like that. And I'm like, well, yeah. Right. To work with pro teams. Yeah. I was like, that'd be sweet. So I did a job shadow with John Torrine. Okay. And John Torrine set me down and pretty much told me this isn't a meatheads thing. You're going to have to be really smart, and you're going to have to go to school a long time. Yeah. You're going to have to at least have a master's degree if you want this type of a job. So that set the profile. Yeah. So now I knew that I couldn't only be strong. I had to be smart. Yeah. And I had to be educated, and I had to have the certificates, and right. I had to have right. the CSCS and the yeah. you yeah, know yeah. all this other stuff. That's and uh, so I kind of go home disappointed because I'm thinking being strong is enough. Right. Because right. I'm right. a kid, yeah. and I don't yeah. want to go to college <laughs> because I screwed up a lot in high school yeah. and I didn't have the grades. Yeah. So this actually is a really cool story. So um, the guy that was in charge of admissions at Ball State worked out at the Y, and I had right. no idea who he was. We never even talked, yeah. but he saw me there all the time. Yeah. And I come in and sit down, and I apply to school. I get rejected. I don't even get in on a like a you know probationary basis. Yeah. It's like hell yeah, yeah. no, right. <laughs> you're not allowed to come into this school. Yeah. Your grades are terrible. Yeah. <clears throat> so I finally get the balls to go up into administration and ask them if they can let me in on a probationary basis and yeah. prove my worth. Yeah. 
Well, it just so happened this was the guy that was in charge of admissions. Nice. And he's like, yeah, yeah I see you at the Y all the time. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I know I did poorly in high school. Yeah. You know, I kind of told him my dad had passed away when I was a freshman and yeah. it screwed with me and yeah. I didn't have a lot of focus. Yeah. And weights were the only thing that I knew that was going to, you know, get me out of this. Yeah. And uh, he goes, well, I can't promise you anything because your grades in high school are so bad, but I'll see what I can do. I'll talk to the board. Next, the next week, I get a letter of acceptance. Nice. And I get in, and in my first semester, I get a 3.8 GPA. Nice. Nice work. Yeah. So, so, yeah, you just needed to be in the right setting. And I knew that there was, it, yeah. was either, it was either this is when I'm going to um, go get a job that I want yeah. or I'm going to have to go work a job that I need. Yeah. You see? Yeah. Because right. at that point, I was already a good welder. Yeah. That's why, like, my bell squat and stuff, yeah. I made the first yeah, five yeah. models yep. myself. Yeah. And the thing of it was is that I knew that I was either going to have to do that the rest of my life and be a fabricator yeah. or I was going to be able to be some type of a strength coach. Nice. My whole initial goal, though, like everybody else probably, was I want to be a pro strength coach. Right, right, right. I want to go work for the Colts or the Bengals. Yeah. I don't want to be in a high school. Yeah. I don't. That wasn't me. I wanted yeah. to be at the top. Yeah. And um, so school starts. I meet. Luckily, I'm at Ball State. Right. So the nice thing was I grew up in Muncie. Yeah. where Ball State is in Muncie, Indiana. And uh, John Torrey, when I did my job training, goes, well, hell, you're at one of the best schools in the world yeah. for strength and conditioning right, because right. you have the best professors. They started yeah. the NSCA. Yeah. Kramer, yeah. Volick, yeah. right? All these yeah. guys and Pearson, all these guys that were the original founders right. or at least very big right. parts Early of being the founders. The NSCA, yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. they were all my professors. Yeah. He's like, man, That's you awesome. hit the gold mine. Right. So I started going to school there. I got yeah. my undergrad from Kramer. Yep. Then I got my master's from Dr. Newton. Yep. Right. Another huge, prolific right. person in power. Right. And, and you strength. were in that time you were there also, you were in school <laughs> with some other people who have gone on to do some pretty Big good stuff. stuff Mike Robertson here at town. Yeah. I yeah, fast. Yeah. Uh, Pete Bomarito right. trains probably yeah. the most people for the combine in the country. Yep. Yep. Wade Russell that played for the, um, you know, the uh, Dolphins and the Bengals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were some masterminds that had come out of that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'd have to even sit down for an hour and think about right, it. Right. So it just attracted a lot of people because we had some of the best uh, professors. So I lucked out. That yeah. was pure luck. Yeah. But what wasn't luck was the fact that my desire to be super strong got me everywhere that I'm at today. Yeah. Because... If that admissions guy hadn't seen me at the YMCA, right. seen me bust my butt yeah, yeah, and yeah. train my butt off. And the first yeah. thing he asked me goes, well, creatine was brand new yeah. at the time. He's like, well, what do you think about this creatine monohydrate? Because he's asking me this to see if not only do I go lift, if I right. study. Yeah. And I go, well, I know that it brings water into the muscle cell, therefore helping with more ATP storage. So I started talking science yeah, to him yeah. a little. He's like, you really want to do this, don't you? And yeah. I'm like... Hell yeah, I do. Yeah. And that's what got me in. Yeah. So not only was I lifting hard, but when he asked me questions, he knew I was researching. Yeah. Maybe I was yeah. only researching a magazine, right. but I was still looking stuff up, and I was intrigued yeah. by human performance. Yeah. And that's what got yeah. him to go to bat for me, a right. total stranger right. 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 that he right. didn't even care about. Yeah. So if I look at one of the parts of my life, it's, it's sometimes it's complete strangers that you just rub the right way right. that change right. the entire course of your life. Yeah. yeah. So, cause you were there, you know, you got, ended up getting your undergrad, get your master's degree. Lifting yep. is still going super strong. So lifting goes strong. I went two national titles in the USAPL and keep in mind yeah. at this time, there were some heavy hitters in the IPF and the USAPL. Yeah. So to win a national title as a junior yeah. and have American records and national records as a junior was yeah, big because we had guys that were doing monster things at this time. Um, 
2004, uh, I go to a WPO qualifier in Iowa and become one of the, the youngest guys to squat 900 pounds at 24 years old, which was a huge feat, and I did it easy, yeah. which I was a complete – I picked that thing up. I just said, I want 903. Yeah, yeah. And the guys are like, man, dude, you haven't had anything over 850 on your back. I'm getting it. Wow. So <laughs> I did it, and, you know, that – started the ball and started putting me in the ranks yeah. like who's this guy right. like you know I had done some waves in the USAPL yeah. but now I'm on the big stage yeah. and um, so that starts that 2005 I don't do a powerlifting meet at all because I'm at the last semester of my masters okay. and getting a masters from where I got a masters from yeah. was yeah. no yeah. joke right. my thesis got turned in 15 times before yeah. it was accepted yeah. and yeah. it's not because I did a terrible job right it was just that critical. The critical, yeah. man. Yeah, it was yeah. super critical. So long story short, 05, I graduate. <clears throat> Louis Simmons wants me at Westside Barbell bad because yeah. I'm one of the top younger lifters, and I'm pretty balanced. I got yeah. a over 700 pull. I got a 900 squat. I got a 600 bench. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm hammering. Yeah. You know, I'm one of the top probably seven in the world at the time, and yeah. I'm only 25. Yeah. And I have a master's degree. So for Louis right. – when I got there, it brought his gym a little bit of scientific clout because yeah, now yeah. he's got guys in there that have degrees. Right. It's not bartenders and right, bouncers right, right. that are just have no future other than this little small blip of their yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. I'm in this to win it. So I tell, you know, Louie, I'm like, I'm ready to give the next few years all I got. Yeah. I want to get as strong as I can get. Yeah. Within the next year, I squat a thousand, wow. bench seven, pull yeah. close to eight. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, look, Louie, like I really like this power thing, but my initial goal is I want to be a top level strength coach. Yeah. So he introduces me to Buddy Morris, and okay. Buddy Morris is at the Browns. Yeah. Now, for you who don't know Buddy Morris, Buddy Morris was Dan Marino's strength coach. Yeah. So that's what made him initially famous, at least in my eyes, at right. Pittsburgh. Yeah. He gets the job under Butch Davis at the Browns. He's there three, four years. I can't remember. And uh, Louie talks me up so well, and. Buddy is so intrigued with Louie's use of bands and chains and reverse hypers and was a huge avid follower of him that Buddy Morris wanted to get rid of his first assistant and bring me in. Now, keep in mind, this is a heavy-hitting crew yeah. of Buddy Morris and Tommy Malinsky. Right, right, so right. Malinsky's the head strength coach at the Jaguars now. Yep. So I was going to come in and work with those guys, which yeah. would have been amazing. Right. So two weeks into saying I'm going to get hired, the entire staff gets fired when Romeo Cornell comes in and uh, takes over yep, the job. Yep. So I never get to work a day in the Browns. And this was a huge pivotal point in my career because I decided to say to hell with pro strength and conditioning yeah. because I want to be the guy when I do a good job, I get rewarded for it. Yeah. And I don't yeah. want my job to revolve around other people's failures or pr progressions. Right. So if right. the whole team does bad but I'm a great strength coach, I don't want to be fired for that. Yeah. And yeah, I know yeah. that in the pros, that's how it's going to be yep. because I just watched Buddy Morris right. basically have to right. sit out of strength conditioning for two years to yeah. ride his contract. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, what? This yeah. is crazy. Yeah. That's when I realized that at the pro level, it's not, it's not how good of a job you do. It's just the cards you get dealt. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't want to have to go live at, you know, the New York Giants and then get moved to Kansas right. City right. and then get moved to San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. This wasn't me. Yeah. And so what I did was is I regathered my – um, priorities, and I said, I'm going to be the baddest lifter I can be. I'm going to be yeah. so strong. Yeah. And I'm like, I only have this window of maybe the next five or six years right. because I knew that I, the damage was just going to be too great, and a lot of that was watching the guys that were training me being close to 40 right. or over and 40, busted up. and their ribs yeah. are busted, yeah. their knees need surgeries, right. and I'm like, look, okay, I'm going to do this for these many years. Yeah. So I refocus my 
thought pattern. Um, and that's when the military calls me out of the blue, yeah. asked me to come down and look at their stuff. And this was right. not a massive contract. Yeah. This was nothing special other than it was a special forces unit right yeah. off the rip. Yeah. Keeping in mind that I went down there for three days, I charged them a thousand dollars. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't a hundred thousand yeah. dollar contract. Right, right, right. It wasn't you didn't anything even at that time. You didn't even really know anything about negotiating no. contracts. And, and, and it really, trying to yeah. figure out what to do. And and it's really it's like worth. a shot in the dark because yeah. I don't know anything about tactical. Right. You right. know, I mean, I had guns and you know stuff like that, but I I didn't know anything about these guys. Right. So I went in there with an open mind and not as a powerlifter, but with a powerlifter biomechanical background yeah. and started looking at the stuff they were doing. And going, well, I mean, these guys are kind of great at certain things, but they're terrible at others. Right. So my thought pattern always in training has been find the weakness, bring it out in the training, and make it a strength right. as good as you can. Right. So I just apply the same philosophy to them. And over the course of the next two years with the Rangers from 06, well, 03, 06 to 09, injury rates went down, performance rates went up. Well, that impressed the general. Yeah. And the general, the next thing he was in charge of from the ranger regiment was a larger group of infantry yeah so what they did is he went from 700 ranger regiment guys to 5,000 ground troops and that's when me and you met uh, yeah so i got there and interview for fourth infantry's position which is 5,000 ground troops they love what i do i already have the performance standards and and uh you know statistics from right. the ranger regiment so it was a pretty easy fit well Basically, what the generals and Eva's eye was testing me was to see if I was passionate and knew if I knew my stuff. Yeah. Because this was the big contract. Right. So see I'm thinking this is going to be another couple thousand dollars every time I go out. Right. I sit down and look at the paperwork, and it's $335,000 for a summer. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> this is big yeah. bucks. I mean, yeah. and I, even at this time, this has only been eight years ago. Yeah. And yeah. at this time, this was like life-changing money. Right. Right, because right. now it's kind of like, okay, that master's degree I had to spend a lot of money on and be super yeah, broke. Yeah, yeah. But the thing of it was is they liked me because I had the hands-on records right. and I was strong. Yeah. And I had the degrees yeah, to back and up. I had the proper resume because I had yeah. done the right internships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So when that happened, that was a game changer. Well, yeah. we did so well there, injury rates dropped dramatically. Yeah. Performance rates went through the roof. Yeah. And it solidified my standard as one of the premier strength conditioning coaches in all of the military yeah. in any in any shape, yeah. way, or form. Yeah, and you were able to work, uh, kind of change their thought process too on the things you were testing guys on. I mean, so they still had to do the Army P PT yep. test, they, you know, but you got them to look a little bit more sensibly, a little bit more at like real tests that actually mattered they were tests that were going to actually measure abilities on the battlefield yeah. versus stuff that somebody had chosen to do in 1960 with no right. real physiological thought pattern yeah so the big thing was is if you look at the testing and now that people are talking about they're going to convert to in 2020 i have some role in what exercises they've selected nice um so i was on yeah. a pentagon yeah. i was on a pentagon advisory board for two years yeah. Um, I was one of the few people that told them that females were allowed to come on to infantry. Yep. And it wasn't because females are stronger than males. Right. It was the fact that our males in the Army have gotten so weak that it's not hard for the females to be equal. Yep. 1960, that would have not been the case. Right. Right. But now, there's not, there's, you can take a female, you train her for eight or ten weeks smart, she can yeah. be as strong as an average male. Yeah. 
And uh, and at around that time, I guess probably right, 2010 somewhere in there, you were opening your gym in Columbus. Mm-hmm. Or, 2010. You know, so yeah. I split from Louis. I was starting to get so busy that um, my clientele just wouldn't withstand in there. And it's not really an environment. It's an environment of very cutthroat. So in that yeah. gym, it's kind of like level, being in like a high level. Right. Of, Russian training or Bulgarian, you know, there's no hurt. Right. Like you're hurt, you're gone. Like, and it doesn't matter if it was somebody's fault or your fault or you don't perform, you don't stay. Yeah. And I didn't have a problem with performing, but now my career was starting to outweigh. Right. Right. You're starting to coach more than you are training yourself. So So what I found was, is that now because I was coaching a little more and my jobs were getting a little bit more, um, um, higher level and more money that I was actually recovering better because I wasn't training right. as hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I started to realize that yeah. I was overdoing it. Yeah. Well, in the first six months of not overdoing it and keeping my focus there, but a little bit, uh, you know, um, pulled away from another area, my squat when I leave Westside was 1,085. And when I did it my own way for a year and a half and went to 1,200. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just because yeah. I was recovering. Recovered, yeah. And I started to realize that it had nothing to do with my, you know, um, my periodization or nothing right, to do right. with my style of training. Yeah. All that stayed pretty much the same is yeah. I was sleeping better. Yeah. I wasn't worried about when I was going to have to eat because yeah. I didn't know if I had enough money. Now right. all that was taken care right. of. Yeah, yeah. So that started to put me in a good position. So fast forward 2011. Um, I start realizing that, you know, the raw stuff is starting to hit storm big. Yeah. And the equipment stuff starting to get kind of a bad rap. Well, most of my training was raw already. Yeah. So I flipped over and then broke some world records raw. Yeah. So I had a few world records uh, in equipment and a few world records raw. But the military stuff is what caught the attention of the fire department. Right. So right. as you can see, this snowball effect started from a passion yeah. of lifting heavy. Yeah. Then went to military attention, yeah. into fire department attention, into yeah. general population attention to the point that it created the perfect snowball down the mountain. Yeah, yeah. And it's still getting bigger. Right, right. Yeah, because uh, talk a little bit about that. So the fire department thing is locally in, in Columbus and the townships yeah. around there. And talk about some of the numbers to the, um, you know, reduction sure. injuries yeah. and, and, you know, works workmen's yeah. comp yeah. savings that you So had. what happened was is that um, 2006 or seven, they did a big uh, article on me working with Ranger Regiment. Right. And this was in muscle and fitness. Okay. So we laid out a little bit of the training protocol. We showed some injury reductions. We showed some performance standard increases. Well, Chief Al Wu, one of my great friends now, um, you know, I'd do anything for him. He, uh, he saw that because he was an average workout guy and he knew a little bit, but he would read muscle and fiction. You right, know what I mean? Right, right. What we call muscle and fitness. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a big article in there on training special forces guys. Yeah. He saw right. it and he saw, it said I was from Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. So he's like, holy hell, this guy's right, right here in right. town. Yeah. Now, keeping in mind that Dublin, Washington Township is the most financially stable okay. and expensive places to live yeah. in Columbus. Yeah. So we're talking like the highest. Right paid firemen, yeah, nicest yeah, houses. Yeah. They have a lot of extra money is my yeah, point. Yeah. So they somehow get a hold of me and find me, interview me, and go, you think you can do this with a small fire department? I'm yeah. like, I don't know. We could try. Right. Well, fast forward five years later, yeah. 
after we get every department, this is five fire departments in yeah. the township. Yeah. We get every one of them with belt squats, reverse hypers, glued ham raises. Yeah. We get them focused and get all their stuff down. Yeah. They're saving a quarter of a million dollars in insurance premiums a year. Yeah, huge. Because huge. when I got in there, the average deadlift, I am not exaggerating one bit. The average deadlift was under 200 pounds. It was around 185 pounds oh, is what yeah. the average fireman could pick up. Right. We just did the retesting, and we do it about every two years. In yeah. 2016, the average deadlift was 395. Nice. Out of 130 yeah. guys. Yeah, that's huge. Pretty big. Yeah, and double an important, right? Important uh, movement. Yes. Like you were saying in one of your talks the other day, that these guys are pulling usually people who are yep. wedged in between, yep. you know, the toilet and the, the uh, bathtub or yep. falling down off the, well, behind a bed or whatever. What makes the strength training so important in that field, and it, it, it's even now above cardiovascular fitness, which has been the staple for many of these departments, yeah. is the fact that society is getting heavy. Right. right very right, heavy. Right. And the right. average population age is 50, yeah. 55. Yeah. Well, so the baby boomers are all getting older. They're the ones that have ate like crap their whole life. Yep. And they're the ones that are weighing 250 and 300 when they're getting old yeah. and diabetic yeah. and strokes and yeah. all these other things. So the problem is now is because fire protection, i.e. sprinkler systems, alarm systems, are getting so digitally and so technologically good yeah. that the big killer of the fire department now is the EMS runs. Okay. Because you're yeah. lifting a heavy patient, you're carrying yeah. them in awkward positions, yeah. and you got a below average strength guy right. that has all these imbalances and weak muscle groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to right. figure right. out right. that right. strength training is what's going to fix this problem. Yeah. So once we build up that, made them twice as strong as they were when I got there, yeah. and then increase the conditioning, because you can't build um, compressive conditioning with no strength. Right. So if you want to do lots of kettlebell swings and sled drags and dummy yeah. carries and... Yeah carrying hoses up you know it's like well i don't i, I mean when i first got there i remember the, the guys bitching and complaining because they're like well this isn't job pacific i'm like if you can't deal with 225 you can't carry a hose up a stair right right, right they right. don't realize there's yeah. step there's segment points to getting you know yeah. there's stepping points to getting there where you want to sure. be so once i got them back into specific training because they were generally strong enough to do it yeah. that's when i realized that these injury rates were massively changing yeah. and we were saving the department hundreds of thousands of dollars even after they had already paid me right 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 that's so huge. that's where the tactical stuff solidified yeah. that's what kind of got me famous outside of just being a strong guy yeah. um and uh that's kind of how it all began you yeah. know um now it's nice because you know like charles Paulquin says it's not the jobs you have are not what makes you it's the jobs you can turn down yeah 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 you know if you can turn down jobs that don't fit you because you right. don't need it yeah you start finding yourself in the optimal positions for things right yeah well and you're probably a lot happier too right? oh yeah, like, yeah i mean think about too i guess you know being a business owner right you've seen the evolution of your business and kind of you get to you don't just train high level athletes or only fire firefighters yeah. you train kind of everybody yeah and, and you've I got you know you've developed your own even your uh, maybe talk a little bit about that, and as well as your own lifting partners. Some of the guys you train who train with you now have become really good lifters yeah. on their own. Yeah, I mean the big thing is is like I, I maybe it's just my personality. I hate doing the same thing every day. Yeah. So I like training firemen, but I'd hate it if I did it every day. Right. I right. like training general population, yeah. but I'd hate it if I did it every day. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same thing goes with military athletes that I've trained everything. Yeah. So for me to stay in this job, I, I love to be multifaceted and have 
multiple faucets. And I think that's one of the big things that people miss out as coaches is they become so compartmentalized that they're only one faucet. Yeah. And then that problem is one faucets have seasons. Right. So right. if all I trained was football, yeah. I'd be busy as hell right now, but in the fall I'd be dead. Yeah. So how do you live that way? Yeah. And then if all I trained was firemen, it takes a long time to get a lot of a lot of uh, fire departments right. because you're dealing with contracts, you're dealing with trustees, yeah. you're dealing with funding issues, you're yeah. dealing with levies. So the thing of it is, if I got a department and then I got a couple football players and then I got a, a few general population people, I always have a source of income. Yep. And it's always steady because everything is volatile, right. but because uh, it's all together, it's stable. Right, right, right. It makes sense? Yeah, that's So huge. that's what made me start branching and I started realizing there was this niche in the equipment industry that people started making things cheaper and not yeah. correctly, and they might engineer it right, but they don't use it enough to understand how it's supposed to work. Right. And that's kind of when I got into the equipment side of things. So now I have uh, the yeah. equipment side of stuff that I can sell, which yep. gives me a little bit of a cushion. A little stability, too. A little stability yeah. at that. Yeah. And then the online coaching, realizing that not everybody's going to be able to come to your gym. Yep. So how do you outreach to other people? So yep. what we do is we created probably one of the most extensive online coaching um you know 12 week cycles that we could possibly create because we take your videos we base your training on not only your personal equipment but your weaknesses yeah. so i don't hand somebody a basic workout right it's saying oh this workout is for 12 weeks for hypertrophy yeah. Yeah, well yeah. no the thing of it is, is that that's the most frustrating thing is people think that they can take a workout and copy it verbatim right well you haven't done all the work previous yeah to get to that workout. So that's why you have to have custom workouts because it, the workout can be good. Any workout, well, within reason, any workout can be good, sure. but it's dependent upon if you're ready for that workout physically and mentally yeah, yeah. and recovery. Right. So if you're like, well, I work 60 hours a week, dude, you're not going to be able to train the same as a guy that works 20. Right, right, right. Because of the emotional and physical beatdown. Yeah, so I think people don't look at their training as like a glass of water you can only pour out so much water before you have no water yeah right, right? right. and your your stress your family all of yeah. these things are things that take away water from the training yeah so right. you have to make sure that that stuff is looked at in a holistic approach yeah. so the first thing we do when we take down your programming is we figure out what kind of equipment you have yeah we figure out what weaknesses you have and then we look at the holistic approach of your nutrition and your work schedule and your family yeah and that dictates whether you train four times a week, two times a week. Right. And what right. I started realizing was it wasn't about optimal training. It was about optimal training for you. Yeah, yeah. So cool. that's – and this is where it gets into my training partner. So yeah. I have a, a friend and training partner for the last six years, Rob Mazur. Yeah. People call him the world's strongest hipster yeah. because yeah. he has like a Cadillac, like an old Cadillac, <laughs> and his hair is all parted, and he's, he's a goofball. <laughs> but the thing of it was is when I first got a hold of him, he had yeah. just got out of – uh, testicular cancer. Oh, wow. Chemo, yeah. all yeah. that shit, yeah. right? So he's weak, he's fat, yeah. he's out of shape. Right. Okay, so I'm realizing immediately he can't work out four times a week. There's no yeah. way. Right. He worked out one time a week. Yeah. So he worked out one time a week for six months wow. and then two times a week for a year and a half. Yeah. After that year and a half process, which was almost two years, and when you, cal you calculate it all together, Take him to his first meet, benches 515, pull 700. Wow. <laughs> now, I'm pissed. Yeah. Not because he did successful, yeah. but how much work it took me to get there. And then I start realizing, did I need to do that much right. work at did that I strength do level? Way more than I ever needed. But to. what I started yeah. to realize was, and this is about 2013, so yeah. this is five years ago, what I started to realize was is that Rob was recovering from every workout. 
Yeah. So he yeah, was building yeah. every time he was coming in. He yeah. wasn't coming in sore. Right. He wasn't coming in tired. Yeah. He yeah, was coming yeah. in prepared for more progression. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people don't sit down and analyze. It's not what program makes you better. It's what program makes you better right now. Nice. And yeah. less can be way more. Right, right. Less you is know? always way more, I think. Yeah. Everybody always thinks there's something new or better. And there's not. It's probably not. There's it's not. simple. It's yeah. only better if it's more in tune to what you need at this time. Yeah. That's what it. What you need. Um, what do you have um, interns and staff now. Talk yeah. a little bit, too, about kind of being a manager of those kind of employees and what are you what are you looking for in people that might become your employees or that you're gonna hire yeah. on have as an intern even um you know for me like the guy that's my go-to guy now is ted cox and uh teddy's got his master's degree and i forced him to go get it because you know the type of people we work with you know firemen policemen special forces um when you have to go sit down and have meetings with fire chiefs and generals if you come in as some you know, slap happy, like just out of like undergraduate college, these guys look down on you, whether they feel like they do or not. And a college degree in the fire department still means a decent amount. It still means okay in the, uh, in the army. But when you have a master's degree, generals tend to look at you as an equal. They don't tend to look down on you because you have high level of college and chances are you probably have more college than they do. So the point is, is that you have to have a trump card walking in for respect. And I think that's where people don't realize that the masters, I know people that don't have any degrees that are super smart, yeah, but they sure. don't have the respect. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you got to be able to have the respect of the people that can sign checks. Yeah. That's and that's huge. what people don't understand. Yeah. But what I look for in interns now, because when we do interns, it's a little different than you guys. I charge my interns okay. because I look at it this way. If you don't have skin in the game, then if you waste my time, it's a waste of your money. Yeah. But yeah. if you come in and waste my time and it's free, now all the stress is on me. Well, I got all this stuff going on as far as departments and gym to run and everything yeah. else. I don't have time for you to be stressful to me. So if you come in and waste your money, I have your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you could learn a lot from that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the totally, point is, totally. I, I, I do unpaid. I do interns pay me. Yeah. Um, and then if somebody wanted to come in as a helper, an assistant, or somebody that trains under me, then they're going to have to be willing to go to school for a long time. They're going to have to be willing to mentor under me a long time. So Teddy's been with me for six years. Wow. Because I want to know that right now here at this conference, he's at my booth. Yeah. If you go ask him a training question, I'll bet you he'll answer it about 95% the same way I would. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, know, totally on the same It's very different, you know, because the problem is when your business, you know, like – my business is winningstrength.com. It's my name. Yeah. So I want to make sure that people that work for me are going to do things the way I would do it. Yeah. Maybe not even by the NSCA book or right. by, the, by the way I think. Right. And I think that takes a lot of tutelage. It takes yeah. a lot of experience. And it yeah. takes a lot of just grinding. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. but Teddy can recite a lot of the books. I gave him a lot of books to read. Yeah. On top of him getting his degrees, he's trained my firemen he's trained my general population he knows how to deal with problems and i think if i were to say you want to be a great coach in this you got to understand that being a great coach in strength conditioning is going to be about a 10-year process no matter where you look at it right Right. because you're gonna have to have 10 years of experience to be recognized in the field or you're gonna have to have six years of schooling and then four years of experience or you're gonna have to have something you know, yeah. something that's going to set you apart. So what I try to do, if you want to be a great coach, is set yourself apart 
as many ways as you can. Yeah. Do it with education. Yeah. Do it with your strength level and yeah. your technique and perfection. Yeah. And do it with your experience level and the people you've worked with. Yeah. And if you follow one of those as far as you can go and not ignore the others, totally. people find you. Right, right, right. You know, yeah. people find you. Yeah. And that's the thing is I think people always go look for success. Yeah. Success is waiting for you to put the right the right cards down yeah. for it to appear. Yeah. No, that's great. You that's know what I mean? Advice. Yeah. And your, uh, your social media has really taken off. And honestly, I think the last couple of years, cause I've known you for close to a decade anyway, yep. but I feel like just in the last two, three years, you've had a huge surge and granted social media is more popular now too, but you're doing more of a better, you know, you do a really good job of connecting with people yeah. and putting out information through yeah. your social media. So yeah. how, how big has that been for you? That's huge because the thing of it is that really affects the, the draw of different types of people, especially for the online coaching yeah. equipment sales. Um, and, and how I do it is I don't put out any BS yeah. You see me post something, that's exactly what I do, and right. I explain it. Yeah. I tell people all the time, you want to research my Instagram page, you could probably figure out pretty well on how to train pretty good. Right, right. But right. you'd have to be smart enough to see what I'm talking about. Yeah. You'd have to have enough experience to set it up, and you might have yeah. to be strong enough to even do it. Yeah. But yeah. the point of it is is that I think my ability to, and this is what the military and the fire department gave me, the ability to take high-level things and explain them simply that other people can use it. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like Dr. Newton used to tell us all the time in Kramer. You, if you can't take a complex thing and explain it to somebody that has no background in it and get them to understand it, you probably don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So awesome. my stuff's very clean cut. It's very hardcore and raw, but yeah. it's also very backed right. and very experienced. Yeah. And uh, that's why I think it's, it's, it's gaining so much momentum is because there's very few guys in any field that have done what I call like the triangle, which is education longevity and yeah. strength yeah, yeah. like how strong did you get how much education did you get while you were getting strong and how yeah. long did you last right 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 so this is my 20s almost 27th year of competing yeah and all i've ever had is small pulls right you know in strains like yeah. where i had to back out of a meet because yeah. i just knew i wasn't gonna feel good the next right, day but right. it's not like surgeries right so i'm not getting operated i'm not getting on blown out six months of training yeah yeah because yeah, the thing huge. of it is if i can't go to go to work the next day right. it's You're not good paid. you know yeah. what i mean yeah yeah so um yeah. that's i think that's the thing is if you somebody can look at it, a triangle and try to make that triangle as big as they can on those yeah. sides yeah which is longevity strength and education yeah those three are the pillars right. of making sure that success will follow in this field. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't look down on strength coaches that aren't super strong, but I really don't think you can understand what I try to tell you yeah. if you haven't felt that before. Right. You know, right, you right. got to put in the years. We're not yeah. talking the cycle. We're not yeah. talking a year. We're talking the yeah. years. You got to put the years in a training right. so that you have the street respect. Yeah. Because when I go teach these deadlift classes, people are going to listen because I pull over 800 pounds. Right. Right. And I've done it safely for years. Yeah. People are going to listen when I talk about squatting because I've squat world records. Right. And people are going to listen to me about benching because I've done 600 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So the point is, is like if you want to be recognized, I, I always look at it this way. Be somebody that, opin that their opinion matters. Yeah. And that triangle is what makes your opinion matter to a lot of yeah. people. Yeah. You know? And, it, and for you, too, it's been a constant evolution of... Yeah. Seeking out ways to get better, changing training, but also education too. You're still, you know, you've pursued 
PhD. It's a, it's an ongoing PhD. It's going to happen. We were just talking about it earlier. Yeah. When you find the time and place, it's yep. going to happen. You know, yep, it's definitely. not like you just stop and at some point that the, that you got good enough, right? Yep. It's, it's never good enough. Yeah. And I would say that my training in probably the last, you know, 10 years, every year my training has evolved 5 to 10%. Yeah. Something's changed. I got smarter. Yeah. I figured out something that right. worked really well. Yeah. But the problem is, is I'm always experimenting. And that to some people, I think, with not having a growth mindset, it's frustrating yeah. because you think you find the answer to the question and then your body changes the, the answer. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It changes the yeah. question and yeah. you got to find yeah. a new answer all the right. time. I find that to be fulfilling because yeah. I find I find out that training is, isn't a destination, it's a journey yeah. and your education is never going to be enough. Right. But for some people, that's a massive negative, yeah. you know, because they want to learn enough to get better and then that's it. Right. Well, that never works that way. Right. And right. what gets you somewhere may not get you the next place. Yeah. So where I, how I learned to get to a 500-pound bench, yeah. I learned a 1,000% more to go from 500 to 600 yeah. because yeah. I had to. Right. I was having shoulder problems at 20 years old because I was benching 500 incorrectly. Right. And now I bench 611 and my shoulders feel better than when I benched 500. Yeah. And that's 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So my point is, is that education and experimentation and those types of things is what made me get better. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's what makes it fun for me is it's not, it's always evolving. It's always right. changing. Right. But for a non, a person that doesn't have that attitude, it would be frustrating. Yeah. And I think that's what drives a lot of people out of coaching and out of just progression. Yeah. Is they want to think that they've got it all figured out and then all of a sudden everything changes and now it's starting all over again. Yeah. And that's a negative to them. Right, right, right. To me, that's fun. Yeah. You know that's what I mean? What it's all about, yeah. Yeah, and you've done a good job too, and maybe that's why you've been uh, un, you know, able to do it longer and not get injured really above of having other interests, getting yep. outside of the gym. Uh, I know you you know you do a lot of work on different vehicles and motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah. You take a motorcycle trip every yeah. year and you don't train for a couple of weeks. Like yeah. how how huge has that been in your longevity and you know That's keeping your huge. mind fresh too. Yeah, I think more of that is a physical it's a it's or a, a mental re, uh, progression or a mental refresher. Yeah. Because physically riding a motorcycle across the country <laughs> is ten times worse than lifting in my opinion. I mean I put I went from LA all the way to Pacific to Atlantic and then all the way back up to Ohio is 4,450 miles. Wow. And my back didn't feel right for two weeks right. training, you know. So I wouldn't say it's a, it's a physical. But when I get home, my mind is recovered. Yeah. And I think that mental staleness is a billion times worse than physical overtraining. Yeah. Because mental, the mind, you know, yeah. is a control over everything. Yeah, totally. So for me, when I come back, I'm itching to work out. Yeah. But when I lit, when I left, I'm like, man, I'm right. tired of working out. Yeah, totally. And it doesn't totally. mean I don't work out on the road. I right. f screw around, right, right. but I don't. I'm not putting anything over 405 on my yeah. back or in my yeah, hands. Yeah. You know, unless Michael Hearn at, at Goals wants right. to do something crazy and doing something fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but yeah. The, yeah, the point is, is um, it's having other hobbies that keep you separated. You know, I mean, my dad was a diesel mechanic, so I was always around. Um, engines and cars yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. So that's kind of what gave me that. And my uncles were all big into motorcycles, so that got me into that. Um, some of the other um, hobbies I have is I, I love, like, and I guess it's not really a hobby, but I love doing restoration stuff. Like, yeah. I really like doing hot, cool contrast massage therapies, which who doesn't? Right. But the point is, is I force my recovery means and layouts in a week 
are just as important to me as my training. Yeah. And you know what's funny is, is I talked to Stan about this with uh, Half Thor, you know, the guy that just won the World Strongest right, Man. Right. And I and we were talking and he goes, you know what's funny? What we were talking about this and he goes he goes, When I first sat down and was helping Half Thor, he goes, Everybody thinks that the first thing I'm looking at is his training. Yeah. It's like He's like, I don't care about his training. Right, right. I was like, he knows how to get yeah, strong, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. He goes, I'm looking for the holes in his nutrition and his recovery. Yeah. Because he's like, and he's 50, he's about 15 years older than me. Okay. He's like, out of everybody I've ever worked with, the problem was not the training. Yeah. The problem yeah, was yeah. the recovery and the nutrition. Right. And he goes, once he fixed all that, Half Thor's won everything he's been in in the last year. Right, right, right. You know, but he's eating eight times a day. Yeah. He's sleeping when he's supposed to. He's doing all of his recovery means. Yeah. The point is, is that sometimes the things you're not thinking about are the things that are biting you in the butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and he's like, dude, he's like, every time I'm looking at somebody, he goes, I don't look at their training. I'm looking right. at, and I think that's a big kick in the butt. So like as coaching or future coaching, whoever may be listening to this, look at everything as a holistic approach. Yeah. Because yeah. if you're if they're dehydrated and they're not getting enough salt yeah. and they're not they're not eating correctly and getting enough proteins to recover and they're not sleeping enough, which right, is huge, right. you're you're spinning your wheels. You can have yeah. the baddest program right. that right. anyone has ever seen. And yeah. if this kid's getting four hours of sleep a night, right. it's over. Yeah. And that's t- I mean, you know you see that in every training program. Yep. A lot of people do different training programs, you know, whether yep. it's a different methodology, a different style of training. Yep. Some people do Olympics. Some people do powerlifting. Yep. Some people do more hypertrophy bodybuilding. The, you know, let me tell saying you, everything yeah. works, nothing works forever is so yep. true about training. And let me tell you something about that situation is the fact that um, recovery as far as um, sleep and those types of things tend to be more and more important the better you get yeah so yeah. what i find is that more of my thought pattern is figuring out how to recover not how to train now yeah. and it, the older i've got yeah obviously the harder it is to recover right, right so you have to always have that in mind but one big thing that i always think about is that i can always tell if a program is subpar yeah not by its volume not by its exercise selection which that is a huge proportion sure. but i don't look at that first I'm looking if the program has detailed lists of a weekly program of when they recover, of what yeah. they do. Yeah. Like, is it saying, okay, I want hot, cold contrast on Wednesdays. Yeah. I want one-hour nap on Thursday. Yeah. I want high doses of magnesium after leg training. Yeah. For You know what I mean? Whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever you like to use. But training, my point is, yeah. is if you have a training program in front of you yeah. and there's nothing listed for recovery, right. I, I, I find that most of those programs are – yeah. ridiculous red and they flag. don't like yeah. they're huge red flags if yeah. you don't have programs you need to have your recovery means laid out as extensive as your volume on your lifts yeah oh, that's huge that's super cool how about um what kind of advice would you have for someone just kind of getting started if they want to get involved in you know in being a strength and conditioning coach and maybe we don't even have to say what level but like what's What's kind of the key tenants? Like you got to do this. I mean, you've talked a little bit about it. You got it. Okay, so you got it. You got to have a mentor. So you know, even though I came from a small school, they had a small D one school there. I went and out and found the head strength coach and gave him as much of my free time as I could. Yeah. The first year I did that, he paid me as an undergrad the next three years. Yeah. So every hour that I came in and worked. He would, I was making $12 an hour yeah. hanging out in the weight room yeah. learning how to coach nice. because I gave him a whole year of my time for free. Yeah. So I bought or I paid for his respect. Yeah. 
And he was an ex-pro football guy, and he had a lot of clout in the MAC and in strength conditioning. Yeah. He was one of the first master CSCC guys, yeah. right? The point was is that go and outsource and earn the respect of whoever a mentor in your area at the highest level they could possibly be. Yeah. And maybe you're lucky and you are growing up in San Antonio in the Spurs stadiums right, 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 right down right. the street. Yeah. I'm telling you that a person, even at that level, if they see some kind of spark and some kind of ability for you to help them yeah. and you're genuine, yeah. a pro strength coach would take a kid at 20 years old right off the street and right. he would have him help. Now, maybe you're not doing the exact stuff you want to do at first, sure. but you could pay your dues a little bit. Yeah. And I find that most people think, well, I'll go to school and then once I get the degree, that's not going to help you at all. Right. Like You're going to have to have that. Yep. But that is not going to get you an entry-level job right. at all. Right. So my point is, is that first thing I think you need to do is find a mentor. Yep. Second thing I think you need to do is look at a long-term plan. I think people tend to overestimate what they can do in a year, yeah. but they underestimate what the plan is in five. Yeah. You need to have yeah. long-term goals set up to where, okay, this is when I'm going to have my undergrad, this is when I'm going to have my master's, and this is how strong I want to be yeah. in five years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this is how I'm going to get there. Yeah. You know, so people say, well, I didn't get this done in this year, but they didn't look at it in a five-year plan. Right, right. You know, so have long-term plans, have a mentor, and then work on your weaknesses, whatever those may be. Are you terrible at speaking in front of people? I used to be terrible. Right. Why did I hate football instead of powerlifting? I like powerlifting because I didn't have to talk to the weights. I didn't have to have a coach yelling at me. I had to bring it inside. Yeah. So I had to learn how to be extrinsic. Yeah. And I think that was automatically gets rid of a lot of people that could be good yeah. because they don't want to work on their weaknesses. So I was yeah. terrible at public speaking. As yeah. you can see today, I'm really good at it. Right. And I don't right. even care anymore. Like, right. to me, I just it's have not, fun yeah, and it makes it even yeah. better. It's not a it's not an awkward or stressful environment. It's, right. It's an awkward, what you do. Yeah. 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 You need to work on awkward and stressful. Yeah. People grow in pressure. Yeah. They yeah. do not grow in relaxation. Right. right. So right. whatever is pressure for you, play yeah. with it, get better at it, and work on your weaknesses, just how I approach yeah. my training. Yeah, yeah. It's totally, it's totally good. It's good stuff. Um, I got some kind of fun uh, off-the-cuff questions, just like get to know you a little more, let yeah. people see your guard. Uh, how about what's the uh, first car that you ever had? I had a 1981 Caprice Classic four-door, like an old-school cop car, nice. and it had a 400 <laughs> small block in it. Nice. So it was it was pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. But my mom didn't know it had a 400 small block in it when I bought it, so she probably would have not let me she have a 350-horsepower car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about, um, I, I like this one just because I think it's a little different, but if you could only do one exercise for yourself, this is for yourself, not training people uh, for the rest of your life, what would that exercise be? Um, I guess it would come down to what my goal would be at that time. But if I would say life, I would probably have to say squats. Yeah. Um, but deadlifts would be a nice second. Yeah. Um, just because of the amount of muscle tissue it's going to hit at one time. Yeah. And, you know, you could probably maintain. Like right now, if I had to choose one lift, I would just squat because I know it would maintain my back thickness and my yeah. leg size, yeah. you know, and all that stuff that I would want to keep into yeah. my older years. Cool. How about uh, best place you've ever visited in your life? Anywhere in the world. I would say that I have a few, but I would say that Sydney, Australia and Bondi Beach, when we went over there at the ASCA and I spoke for their NSCA, they treated me like awesome. And that coastline, if nobody's ever been to Australia and seen their coastline, Uh, it's a must because once you go back to the Pacific or Atlantic, it just doesn't have (laughs) that type of feel. Yeah. 
I would say the next place would be, I loved uh, Prague and the Czech Republic. Nice. Yeah. And I thought London was amazing. Yeah. But all for different reasons. Very cool. Um, this is another kind of fun one that I stole from another podcast. The guy's name is Mike Ritland. He's a former SEAL. He has a mic drop podcast. So if he, if, if he ever gets hold of this, I'm giving credit. But uh, uh, three things that you're most grateful for in your life. Three th- yeah, I've heard that question before. Yeah. Um, I would say just just health. You know, I've been extremely smart but extremely lucky that I haven't been injured and I can show people this stuff and I've done it at a high level. Um, The other thing I think I'm most grateful for is that somehow um, developed a passion for working out and uh, training, which has pretty much brought everything positive in my life, you know. So the working out and passion to work out and the consistency and dedication of work. So all of that working out has been the big door opener in my entire life. And then I would say probably um, just the the, the luck that I've had with the mentors that I've been able to have. You know, I mean, being able to study under guys like Kramer's and undergrad was awesome. Being able to have guys like in biomechanics, Dr. Newton was awesome. Um, having the respect of a lot of the veteran Westside guys when I first got over there was amazing, yeah. and they taught me so much. Um, you know, I would say, yeah, I would say just the mentors I've had, the dedication and, and, and perseverance I've had with lifting, and just the, and the work ethic, you know, yeah. just somehow got this work ethic. I don't, yeah. I don't know. You know that's what huge. I mean? So oh, That's super cool. Uh, we already mentioned your social media is hot as it gets. Uh, how can people reach out to you if they don't already know about you or follow you? Yeah, the easiest way would be to get on uh, Matt Winning's, like, community page because my normal one's full. Yeah. Um, and then at Real Matt Winning on Instagram. Yeah. Um, uh, my website's winningstrength.com, and that's where we do a lot of equipment sales, online coaching. Um, we do assessments on individual lifts, not the whole program. Cool. Um, we do. We have apparel line that's pretty cool and got nice. some really cool yeah. graphics. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's how you can pretty much get a hold of me, website, Instagram, or Facebook. Awesome. Good stuff, man. We'll publish all that in the notes as well. Really appreciate you being yeah. on the show and being at the conference and We'll be talking soon. I need to make a new, another trip to Columbus. It's yeah, been a man. while, so i got to come <laughs> hang out. But thanks, yeah. man. Appreciate yeah, it. No problem. Thank you for listening to the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. We truly appreciate your support, and we wouldn't do this without you. So we are very appreciative. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go write us a review. Please subscribe so you get these episodes delivered to you every other week right on time. Go to NSCA.com and check out everything else that we have to offer. We've got a podcast download page. We've got tons of other content. So check us out there. And again, thank you for your support. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.